back to Lightshed Research, a podcast that puts our research notes in your ears for your convenience. March 10th, 2021, 10 questions for T-Mobile's Investor Day. We continue our series of Investor Day listicles with 10 questions for T-Mobile for their analyst day tomorrow. We cover technology, distribution, media content, and growth. Number one, what is the timing and depth of your planned mid-band spectrum deployments? Verizon's purchase of 160 MHz of C-band spectrum has addressed its mid-band spectrum needs and officially put T-Mobile on the clock to perform. It will take Verizon several years to clear and deploy C-band spectrum and require a material increase in cell sites if it elects not to source supplementary uplink. Nevertheless, Verizon has bought the answer to T-Mobile's spectrum differentiation for $53 billion. Attendees of T-Mobile's Investor Day will undoubtedly be anxious to receive an update on the timing and size of the Sprint synergies. We believe this is far less important to the intrinsic value of T-Mobile than the timing and size of its 5G deployments on the 2.5 GHz spectrum it purchased with Sprint. Deployment means two things, coverage and depth. Investors need answers on both. T-Mobile has identified a 200 million pop coverage milestone this year, but we think it should be more precise on that timing. For example, July would be far more meaningful than December. The implications of the differentiation in those timeframes are not likely reflected in the consensus subscriber estimates or stock price. It's also important to understand when or if T-Mobile expects to hit 250 or even 300 million pops. It's also essential to get more clarity on how much spectrum depth T-Mobile has deployed in its initial 100 million pops of 5G coverage, and what the depth will be when it reaches the larger coverage milestones described above. Download speeds are primarily a function of the amount of spectrum being used. We believe it's even more critical for T-Mobile to deploy 80 MHz of 2.5 GHz spectrum now that Verizon has acquired 60 MHz of the early A-Block C-Band spectrum licenses. Number two, how much will it cost to clean the EBS spectrum? A material portion of T-Mobile's mid-band spectrum is subject to leases with educational broadband licensees. It's not surprising that spectrum speculators have infiltrated the ownership and representation of these EBS spectrum license holders. While T-Mobile may hold a right of first refusal for the underlying leases of EBS license holders, that does not appear to effectively prevent stalking horse bids that could drive up the price on the cleanup of that spectrum. We also do not believe this cleanup impacts only remote locations. Sprint did not have the capital to clean up the spectrum ban, but T-Mobile does. It could try to simply wait out the sellers on the theory that there is no second bidder. However, we believe the speculators sit on patient capital, and now T-Mobile faces the impending deployment of 160 MHz of C-band spectrum by Verizon. In addition, the EBS license is typically fragmented, which impacts the usage of spectrum that surrounds it. That means the usability of spectrum that T-Mobile owns might be impacted because it hasn't cleaned up the spectrum that it doesn't own. It's also unlikely that T-Mobile can rely on the FCC to aid in clearing the spectrum. The FCC has already concluded a penalty phase that would have weeded out any bad actors. Finally, in addition to these clearing costs, T-Mobile must also bid on the white spaces of 2.5 GHz spectrum it doesn't own in this band at an FCC auction set to commence in December. We previously sized the cost to clean up 2.5 GHz spectrum at $1 to $2.5 billion. However, based on the lack of action by T-Mobile in 2020, that cost might now be multiples of that estimate. 
We believe EBS cleaning costs will rise with time, not fall. The A block of the CBAN auction has set the most recent and relevant comparable cost for EBS sellers to reference. That was $1.62 per megahertz pop, which includes clearing costs. Some EBS licenses might be in less population-dense areas, negatively impacting valuation. However, 2.5 GHz should be valued above C-band based on its propagation characteristics. T-Mobile also benefits from the economic synergies of improving the usability of adjacent spectrum, which could be factored into the asking price of the seller. Number three, what are your plans for 600 MHz spectrum? T-Mobile relies on low-band spectrum to provide coverage and in-building penetration. It's the bottom of the layer cake and plays a critical role. Depth of spectrum drives network performance, and adding 600 MHz spectrum requires little incremental capital investment. It took T-Mobile only a few days to deploy 600 MHz spectrum it borrowed from DISH last year. The positive impact of the network was immediate, broad, and measurable. T-Mobile subsequently returned that spectrum to DISH and entered into 600 MHz spectrum leases with Columbia Capital and T-Star in a handful of markets. Even if T-Mobile's 2.5 GHz spectrum deployment progresses faster than we expect, we believe there is value to leasing or buying more 600 MHz. DISH will ultimately emerge as an alternative bidder, and Comcast could elect to deepen its own 600 MHz spectrum ownership. Anterix has also shown how alternative use cases for spectrum exist, particularly for low-band spectrum. It would be helpful for T-Mobile to discuss why at least some spectrum but has not locked up the remaining 600 MHz spectrum holders listed in the table below. The table in our note shows a list of bidders with an aggregate bidding price of $1.7 billion. That includes U.S. Cellular that clearly would not be a seller. However, it doesn't include the increased price that many of these sellers would likely ask for. Number four, will you bid in the 3.5 GHz auction? T-Mobile has a nearly 200 MHz spectrum opportunity in the 2.5 GHz spectrum band if it clears the EBS spectrum. We believe its 2.5 GHz spectrum has better performance capabilities than C-band based on physics. Nevertheless, T-Mobile spent $10 billion to buy 40 MHz of incremental C-band spectrum depth in large markets. We therefore believe it's relevant to ask T-Mobile if it plans to participate in the upcoming FCC auction of 3.5 GHz spectrum. The FCC is planning on auctioning another 100 megahertz of mid-band spectrum this year. This block is adjacent and just below the CBRS spectrum. T-Mobile's bids could also prevent DISH or the cable operators from gaining low-cost access to this access, especially if the spectrum screen continues to be ignored by the FCC. Number five, how many home internet subscribers? Cable investors have laughed off the threat of wireless broadband, and for good reason. None has materialized. The deployment of deep spectrum positions by wireless operators that increase data performance might resurface those concerns, whether merited or not. Those concerns could be inflamed by subscriber data reported by wireless operators. For example, if T-Mobile announced 250,000 wireless home broadband net additions, it might not be material to the 98 million wired home broadband households in the U.S., but it would generate some headline risk for cable stocks. More importantly, it would be helpful for T-Mobile to discuss how aggressive and broadly it plans to market these services going forward. Number six, can Mike Sievert update his 2017 thesis on retail stores? In 2017, when Mike Sievert was the COO of T-Mobile, he authored a piece entitled Long Live the Store, which argued for the continued value of physical retail stores in an increasingly digital world. His first sentence, 
Office Depot, JCPenney, and American Apparel are closing stores. Radio Shack has declared bankruptcy, and they're all blaming Amazon, but I call bullshit. T-Mobile subsequently added stores before announcing its acquisition of Sprint in April of 2018. We suspect that storefront is now contracting, primarily due to redundancy and synergies. According to Jeff Moore of Wave 7, T-Mobile stores grew from 4,700 in 2017 to a peak of 5,300 in 2018, but have subsequently contracted to 5,000 in June of 2020. If we included Sprint, peak store levels were reached in May of 2019 at 9,200, but have contracted to 7,800 in his December 2020 update. Given the lasting impacts of COVID on consumer behavior, it would be helpful to get Sievert's updated thoughts on distribution strategy. Number seven, will you turn off the CDMA network in January? Dish's Charlie Organ expressed surprise that T-Mobile planned to turn off its CDMA network in January. We estimate this could require Dish to upgrade one-fifth to one-third of the Boost subscriber base with new phones and another third to receive a software upgrade. T-Mobile's actions would also impact other MVNOs like Consumer Cellular, which was recently sold to GTCR for $2.3 billion. Can you update us on your CDMA strategy and whether you have been contacted by the FCC and about your plan to shut this network down? Does DISH have the option of moving that traffic to Verizon? Number eight, is Netflix enough and how long is that contract? Netflix is undoubtedly the leader in media with a deep library of content and T-Mobile was early in bundling Netflix on us to improve ARPU and reduce churn. Since then, AT&T has layered in HBO Max content that it owns, and Verizon has added the Disney Plus bundle. Please first update us on the length of the Netflix contract, whether it is exclusive, and the risk that it can be poached by a competitor. Please also discuss what categories of content that could be additive to your bundle, such as music, Spotify, gaming, like a Roblox Premium, to remain competitive with Verizon's broadening portfolio. What were the lessons learned with Quibi? We are also curious whether bundling led to a meaningful usage of Netflix on your wireless devices. We sense the overwhelming majority of SVOD usage is still occurring on large screen devices, but curious if your partnerships result in above average engagement on mobile. Number nine, will the device upgrade rate rebound from its record low? COVID clearly had an incremental impact on the already six-year decline in the device upgrade rates of operators. Only AT&T saw an inversion to a shorter replacement cycle, primarily due to its generous upgrade offer. As we progress through improved COVID conditions throughout 2021, how much do you expect the upgrade rate to rebound? Why did you respond to AT&T's aggressive handset promotions last year when you previously claimed this was not economic? Why didn't your response generate more phone sales? Number 10. Can you sustain ARPU? Historically, T-Mobile has guided ARPU to plus or minus 1%. It has typically been negative 1% rather than positive 1%. The company therefore needs to put up 3 million postpaid phone net ads each year to reach 4 to 5% service revenue growth. To put that in context, Verizon has guided to 3% wireless service revenue growth and converts a much higher percentage of that revenue to free cash flow likely based on the scale and fiber investments. Understanding the trajectory of T-Mobile's ARPU and incremental 5G services will be increasingly important to determine if their revenue growth will outperform Verizon over the longer term. In the past, T-Mobile has referenced the higher ARPU levels of Sprint subscribers that could be impacted by an increased focus on family plans. 
it would be helpful to get an update on that conversion process and the impact it will have on ARPU in the coming years. Thanks for consuming our research content via the podcast. If you have any suggestions, please let us know. Have a great week.